kids, he says, they used to sing a little song. He said, uh, <laughs> Mary, <laughs> let's see, Mary had a little lamb who would have been a sheep, but then it joined the local church and died from lack of sleep. <laughs> so we don't want that, you know, because serving God is supposed to be fun. And if you do it in his strength, it will be. Amen. <laughs> uh, well, Lord, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and mercy and peace. Thank you for teaching us and helping us to be disciples, imitators of you, Lord. And we love you and we thank you for showing us how to love by loving us so perfectly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord Jesus Christ was confirmed to us by those who heard him. We've been learning what it is to truly believe on Jesus and then what it means to truly follow Jesus, and we learned about following closely, haven't we? Instead of allowing that distance, which leaves us vulnerable. And then we moved on to discipleship, which is what he's called his believers, his followers to, his discipleship. And we learned that that is not just a learner, but an imitator of their teacher. So now, we're going to carry this all the way into the land of promises. I want to help us to grow in our salvations and to take advantage of everything that the Lord has provided for us. Amen. There is so much that Jesus has provided through the atonement through that sacrifice that he made for us. And it's not just the forgiveness of our sins. That's just something that had to be dealt with. And that's out of the way. He was really after you. He was after this relationship with you. This He wanted to give you this eternal life that he has purchased for you. And it starts now. It starts at the moment of salvation. And many Christians go their entire lives just thinking that it's something they'll receive when they get home to heaven. And because of that, they don't live completely victorious lives here in this earth. And none of us are ever going to do it perfectly. But I tell you, we're living short of our inheritance. And so let's try to help ourselves in that regard. First, I want to finish up for a moment, just kind of talk about something that is, is necessary. It's not about you, but it's about the possibility of this apostasy that will definitely be taking place in the church. Uh, there will be a large falling away in these last days as God has prophesied in his word, but not for those not for those who love the Lord. Amen? Amen. In the Bible, one of the 
one of the things that's talked about in great length <coughs> is just the theme basically saying don't look back. Don't look back to Egypt. You'll see in the old in the old covenant, which is all the type and shadow pictures and shadows of the new covenant revealed in Christ. Amen. Amen. Egypt is always a picture of our bondage, our sin before we knew the Lord. So you're reading the old covenant and they're talking about looking back or going back to Egypt. You know that's what they're talking about. In the new covenant, they might mention things like that, but it's always a reference to the Old Testament. But it's always talking about going back, apostasy, this this going back to the old life, the old man, after you have known the truth and tasted of God's salvation. In Genesis, some of you are familiar with, the, and I don't even want you to go there because I'm really trying to get to the good stuff today, but I have to touch on this. The Lord wanted me to make sure that I'm teaching about true believing, true following, true discipleship, that I also warn you of the possibility of this apostasy, this falling away. And so in Genesis, there was a great picture of this. You remember the story of Lot, um, who was Abraham's nephew, and he was spared from destruction when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God had heard reports that these were exceedingly terrible, wicked cities, and he came to destroy them. And uh, Abraham made a deal. He should have bargained even further, some would say, because God is good. But he asked if there was just ten righteous men in there, would he spare the city? And he said he would. Well, the angels, two angels went into Sodom uh, to Lot's house, and immediately all the men of the town followed them, and they wanted to have sex with them. They tried to, they tried to break into, uh, they wanted Lot to send them out, and uh, <laughs> he wouldn't do it. He offered to send his daughters out, which was crazy to me. But uh, nevertheless, God did destroy those cities. He did spare Lot and his, he would have spared his wife and his two daughters. He would have spared his entire family. The sons-in-law took it as a joke. And there may have been other relatives that aren't mentioned, but they definitely was friends and things like that. We know that they had lived there for a time. They were giving up their life in this city when the angels told them to leave and they it says that uh, Lot tarried. In other words, he took his time, and they finally got so adamant, they grabbed him by the arm, and they led him out of the city, along with his wife and two daughters. The others stayed and were destroyed. The point I'm trying to get to is they tell them, don't look back. Don't look back. And in Genesis 19:26 it says, but his wife, Lot's wife, from behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So she was destroyed for looking back, and I'm telling you, this is all a picture of our salvation and the possibility of apostasy looking back. There is no future in your past. God is a God of today. This is the day of your salvation, and God has a wonderful and bright future for you, but you have to listen to his word and be obedient to the things he asks you to do because it's always for your good. Amen. There was a huge ripple effect from the mistake that Lot's wife made. Not only did it cause her to die, 
it affected her family and it affected generations and all the way up to now. I can, could prove it to you if we wanted to just talk about that today, but we don't. But her daughters, not having lost their sons-in-law and now their mama, they devised, they concocted a story. He was supposed to go to a town called Zoab or Zoar. Anyway, he didn't go. He didn't want to live there either. So he was staying in a cave, and his two daughters just devised this wicked plan to get him drunk and go in and sleep with him. One one night, and the other one the next night, and they both had babies. And uh, and this caused, and you'll see all, if you look at all the peoples of this earth that we're fighting against, you will find their origins in the Bible from mistakes that people made from the first when Abraham and, and Sarah devised a plan to help God to bring the child of promise because it was taking a long time and they created Ishmael by having him sleep with his servant woman. Well, <laughs> look into it. Trust me. Yeah. These are all from things that people were disobedient to God and it affects us even today. Preach it. Amen. I like that. So there was a huge ripple effect. Amen. Philippians 3 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it. This is Paul talking to the congregation. Same as me talking to you today. I haven't succeeded in every way. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, in 1 Corinthians, he, he compares the Christian life to a race. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And this race he's referring to is, is, is to get God's business done in your life. Amen. Not to go and achieve all you can and to gather up all you can for yourself in this life, but to do God's will. You'll be blessed for it, believe me. To the point that you'll suffer persecution for all the blessings he bestows upon you. But it won't be because you're seeking those blessings. It'll be because you're doing his will and he's blessing you all along the way. That's how it works. Luke 9.62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you to succeed in your Christian life. Any of you ever plowed a field? <laughs> I have. Not 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 like my my stepfather did, but on a with a tractor I have. But and in a tractor I have I have stopped paying attention and it didn't take me long to get off course. <laughs> and you look back and that row is all, that furrow is crooked. It's the same thing with a, with a plow, with an ox. I can imagine it would even be worse. But nevertheless, Jesus is warning us about things. It, it, it sounds kind of, kind of mean or cruel sometimes, but it's not. Everything he said was because he wanted you to learn and not make these mistakes that others have made. The commitment to him. And what he calls us to do, it has to supersede everything else in life. It has to be first. Now this, this is not to be used as an excuse to shirk your responsibilities toward your family or friends. God will give you time to do it all if you, do, if you put him first. 
and to do it well. When people, and, and I'm one of the worst ones, say, I don't have enough time to do everything I've got to do. Well, it's time to go back to the throne and say, Father, what am I doing that you didn't tell me to do? Or did I miss you? Did I not put you first? And because I'm struggling to do the things that you would have made easier for me had I spent a little time with you this morning. Set appointments with God. Amen? And you'll find that He will bless you for it. Even the time that you give God, He will multiply back to you. It's a seed. It's a seed just like everything else we have. He created time. He's not in it. <laughs> I can't tell you the hundreds of times I've prayed and asked the Lord to redeem the time for me. For foolish little mistakes that I've made. And you know what? He's faithful. He is so faithful. In 2 Peter 2.20, and I'm almost done with this apostasy stuff, but Peter, Peter says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. That's a disgusting thing to think about, but... That's how God looks at someone who has come into the knowledge of his truth and his blessings and his love and his salvation and then turn back to the world. Jesus said they're just not fit for the kingdom of God. The book of Hebrews has a lot to say about this. The book of Hebrews is really beautiful. It's designed, it's written to the Hebrews who knew all the things about God and the law and all this. And it was showing them that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those holy days and Sabbaths and sacrifices and that he had become the sacrifice once and for all, for all sins, for all time, for all men. And that his priesthood was better than the the priesthood of Aaron. And it went back further. All the way back to Melchizedek. Who was in, before the law. And it shows a lot of beautiful things. And patterns from the scriptures. But it also talks about this apostasy. Quite at length. And it says that. To, to fall away. And that to try to come back for repentance. Is like trying to crucify the son of God. All over again. I have a whole message on this which the Lord showed me when I was a baby Christian but he doesn't leave us there Paul or, or the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.39 and what I'm saying to you today but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls The writer was convinced that the people he was writing to weren't apostates. 
they were faithful believers who were really not only saved in their spirits, but were renewing their minds to the point that their souls were being saved too. And that's where you want to be. And that's where many of you are. And many of you are coming to. Amen? Amen. No one here is going to perish. We're all going to know each other in heaven. Visit one another there. And have great stories to tell. I'm going to skip over a portion of this because it would just become the message and I, I, I really want to be done with this part. But as far as going back and looking back, which is counterproductive, you can't be tempted with something that you don't think about. Remember this. This is important. If you avoid sinful thoughts, you will avoid being tempted. All sin is conceived right here between your ears. That's where the battlefield is. The more, though, that you try to stop doing something, some of you are thinking about the things in your life that you wish weren't there right now because most of us have things. Whether you're very mature or, or you got a ton of things because you just now... Believing that Jesus is true. Either way, you can't stop doing something or thinking about it by trying. You have to, the more you, the more you try to stop doing something, the more you're going to do it. I can, I can prove this by scripture, but the truth is you have to replace negative thinking or actions with godly thinking and actions. You have to replace negative with the word of God. It's that simple. And that's where your victory will be. That's why all these programs and things you see out there, they're great. They're helping people in the world who have no other hope. But they're usually not permanent. And they usually point back to the person and their own self-effort and will and success. And this is a prescription for disaster. Jesus wants to heal you everywhere you hurt. And he wants to fix you first right here between your ears. You can't be tempted with something that you don't think about. So if we avoid the sinful thoughts, we'll avoid being tempted. And to be powerful in God, we have to, to keep from being tempted. Jesus wasn't tempted. I mean... It says he was tempted with every temptation known to man, but he wasn't himself, he, he didn't think about doing it. So in that sense, he wasn't tempted. The tempter came, but he wasn't tempted with it. Because he trusted in the word. And if we control our thoughts, we'll be strong and successful in our walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. God has called you to leave some things behind. Maybe not a country like he did Abraham and his family. But maybe some habits or some hobbies or some lifestyles or even some friends, unfortunately. And if he has, you're never going to experience all that God has for you in this life until you turn loose of those things that he's asking you to give up. 
you give him what's in your hand, he's going to give you what's in his, and it's going to be better. But he won't do it until you first. See, we've told God, you first, and he says, uh-uh, I don't work that way. Because that's not faith. If I had to show you everything before you did anything for me, there would be no faith involved, you see. <laughs> So whatever you're trying to get away from, you can't do it by trying not to, is the point here. That's legalism. You see? We've been delivered from that. Because legalism always focuses on your willpower. <laughs> Grace focuses on what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf. So you have to replace your thoughts with other thoughts, with godly thoughts. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is what? The law. Now, isn't that crazy? The power of sin is the law. <laughs> it is not made for a righteous person. It rubs you the wrong way. Even a mature Christian, I'm telling you, you put, a, you, you put the t commandment in front of their face like this, and it's just, it's just not comfortable. It rubs you wrong. Because really, just by pursuing what Jesus has completed for us and agreeing with who we are in our new man, we will not only meet but exceed those laws because we'll act in love, you see. And love is, is all that's required to fulfill all the laws. If you look at each, each one of the Ten Commandments, none of them would be broken if you were truly operating in love. So the victory is in Jesus. That's what the end of that scripture says. The, the, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His life is in his word. But if we don't press in, if we don't allow him to, if we don't stay close to him in our relationship and don't allow that distance, or if we draw back to the world from which we've been delivered, then we're never going to experience the wonderful, victorious life that Jesus has purchased for us. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape, remember, if we ignore so great a salvation? I say many have really never, ever entered in. They're just looking in through the window. So, <clears throat> you ever heard the story about, well, you can... You can you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day or you can teach him how to fish and he'll never go hungry. We want to teach you how to fish. We want to teach you how to fish here. We want to teach you how to grow in your Christian life where you have a, such a powerful relationship with Jesus and you know who you are and what you have in him that you never struggle, that you always walk in victory and you help others to do the same. Isn't that a good place to be? Amen. Amen. Don't make me turn around and talk to the wall again. <laughs> you know, I, I, I couldn't say anything last week because I was afraid I was going to start crying. But nine days ago, our, our, our old dog passed away. And he was such a huge part of our lives and family. And uh, it has been really, really tough. I mean, I... I've lost a lot of people, and I hear about death all the time, especially as a minister, you know, 
but something something different about a dog like that that's so so close my sidekick for so long well, I took my wife uh, a couple days later and we went and we we bought a painting it wasn't to replace the dog Samantha tried to accuse us of that but it was just a, a really nice picture for our house you know we, we wanted one always anyway and this was just the time it was the Kenneth Kincaid uh, or Thomas Kincaid is that his name Thomas Kincaid. I knew a lawyer named Kenneth Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid is called A New Day Dawning. And uh, it's beautiful because it, everything spoke to us. And, uh, and it's, a, it's just a little cottage sitting on the seashore there. And it's got the, the sun rising. You, you know, you get the point, New Day Dawning. And I think the inspiration was Romans thirteen twelve, which says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And that is right where we're at today, talking about what God has for us. Because if you really come to know what has been provided for you through Jesus Christ's atonement, you will never, ever, ever look back. You would never want to go back to Egypt once you've experienced the promised land. Amen. So I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about that, and then we'll be done today. But in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, those I, I do want you to look at. I want you to underline them. I want you to meditate on them. I want you to know them forever. But Peter's talking about something here. He's talking about what I'm talking about. Peter's telling us that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, that's Jesus, by which he has, has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's from the English Standard Version, which I love. So, what, what's that, 2 Peter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Right there in the introduction. Hard hitting. Right from the start. Peter's letters are very poignant. They get right to the, the core. There's two truths I want you to look at from these two scriptures today. And not to profess to be an English professor or anything like that. You would never know by the way I talk, but I did excel in that in, uh, <laughs> in school. <laughs> but, but these two things, these two truths that I want you to focus on from those two scriptures are both given to you in the perfect tense, which means they've already been accomplished. Are you with me? Verse 3 says that God has given us all things. Perfect tense. Done deal, I would say. It's a done deal. It's already put into your account. And in verse 4 it says, He has given us promise. 
okay? So all things came to us, how? Through his promises. I was so happy this morning, I saw that the Holy Ghost arranged everything because they were just singing about this. Your promises over my life, you see? And what was, what was he doing, though, with those promises? I began to confess your promises over my life. Hello? Now listen, God's promises are your inheritance. Are you, are you listening? God's promises are your inheritance. So let's look, let's just look at one promise. Because we could go on and on. I could make you so happy and so glad we could fix every problem you have. <coughs> and we will. But today, let's look at one promise. And I want you to grab hold of it and make it your own. The Old and the New Covenants are so closely related, aren't they, Manny? Manny and I both like to cycle through the Word. We love it. We love the Word. Manny challenges me, comes and talks to me about stuff that I hadn't even thought about in a while. But then every time I go back through again, I'm like, oh my God, look at that, look at that, look at that. It's just beautiful. But all types and shadows in this old covenant. But they're so closely related. Everything is being spelled out for us. If, you, if something is not that clear in the new covenant, you can go back and find it in great detail in the Old Testament. And it'll be in a story about somebody's life. And it'll be a picture of Christ and the church and your salvation. <clears throat> Today I want you to look at Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to look at one of God's promises briefly. Joshua was a picture of Jesus. Moses brought the children of God out of Egypt. God delivered the law to the, his people through Moses. Moses made a mistake, him and his brother. And God said, because of it, you're never going to get to enter into the promised land. I have a message on this. I believe there were other reasons. God only has to give you one, if that. There were many reasons. He disobeyed, dishonored God by striking that rock twice instead of just speaking to it. And so God told him, because you didn't honor me, you will not go in. But God showed me more clearly that Moses never would have been able to bring the children of God into the promised land. Because the law could never, ever do what grace could do. No one was ever going to achieve all the requirements of the law and therefore be entitled to to God's promised land. And Moses was a picture of the law. 
And so someone named Joshua, the same as Yeshua, the same as Jesus, you see, had to do that for us. And because of this, so Joshua, picture of Jesus bringing the children on to into the, the, the promised land, you see. So in the natural, God gave the people of the old covenant a promised land. In the new covenant, God has given you a land of promises. Amen? Amen. He told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And when you see book of the law, the law is gone, but the word of God still remains. This is what they're talking about for you, okay? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, here's a promise, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God gives a total guarantee of your prosperity and success right there in his word. We all want these things. I don't know anyone who really doesn't want prosperity and success. They might act like they want to fail or they never intend to succeed, but that's not true. It's just not in us. We are designed to win. And if you didn't want to succeed at something, why would you even try? If you didn't want to prosper, why would you go out to make a living? God wants you prosperous. Because you'd be blessed to be a blessing. If he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. And if you start taking advantage of his plans, as these are other promises we're not going into today, of sowing and reaping and, and, and doing all the things he's instructed you to do, because for your good... But, it's all about the Word. People don't have prosperity, and they don't have success. It's either because they don't know how to achieve it, or they don't apply the truth that they do know. I had to change that because I had it, it was a little more harsh. I call it spiritual laziness. And most of us struggle with some of it to some degree. But mostly, it's just a lack of knowledge. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, is what God says in his word. So what's required for this success and prosperity? What are God's conditions? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. That's your heart and mind. And be careful to do all that is written in it. <coughs> speak, think, act. Or think. Or speak, think, act. Or think, speak, act. Either way, it'll work. Look at the salvation requirements in Romans 10.8. Many of you are familiar with 10.8 and 10. With this Roman road. Well let's look. It says what does it say? 
Oh, that's not where I was going to go. I'll get there in a minute. But Romans 10, 8 and 10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So again, God in the New Testament is, is tying it in the, the, the mouth and the heart. Your soul and your mouth are joined in this, in this partnership. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Now we're there. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see? You see how he ties the heart and the mouth in? This is what's known as confession. I'm not talking about the Catholic type of confession where you go in a little booth or the type where you get down on your knees and confess to God the things that you've done. Oh, that's, that's a good thing. He already knows. Don't linger on it too much. But he says, With the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the heart he believes and is justified. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We were talking about this on Thursday night because, because in one place in the Bible right there, Romans 3.28, it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So in other words, it's just faith. You don't have to do anything. But then James, the brother of Jesus in the second chapter of James Verse 17 and 26, he says, See also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So it looks, con looks contrary to one another. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from, the, from works is dead. So we had to labor with this on Thursday night to show that they're not contra contradicting one another. That it is faith alone. Faith alone does save you, but faith is never alone. Faith is never alone. Tell us, Tavana, what faith has what? Faith has feet. <laughs> she says that all the time. True saving faith. It's not just sitting in the church going amen and agreeing with everything the preacher says and what the word says, but then going and living like hell. If you really believe, if your trust is in this word, then you're going to do it. It's going to cause you to act upon it. Isn't it? It's not enough just to believe. We have to act upon it. That's what is consistent thread throughout the Bible. The problem is God doesn't want to point. He doesn't put the cart before the horse. That's what religion does. Puts the works. The works first, you see. The deeds first. And then you maybe you can earn the relationship that you're after with God. Maybe you can get a ticket in. If the works stack up, that's wrong. Just believe. Put this word in your mouth and in your heart and it will cause you to act upon it as a byproduct of the relationship that you build through the word. Jesus 
was this Word made flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Am I, are we getting this today? Okay. Because I could do the, I could do the, I could do the long version. So then, we'll we'll believe you, and we'll just put an exclamation point on it, and drive it home. Amen. We'll kick the winning, the game-winning field goal, right here. Because Joshua did bring those Israelites into the promised land, didn't he? Yes. It was wonderful. But you know, the manna that God had rained down from heaven to provide food for them for 40 years in the wilderness, it stopped when they went into the promised land. And you know, some of them still went out to try to gather it up. <laughs> They didn't need it anymore. They were there. They were in the land that God had promised them, flowing with milk and honey. But they had to go and gather the milk and the honey, you see? And they weren't used to it. God's brought you into the land of promises. They had been there for a number of years. And before they made the temple in Jerusalem, it was in a place, it was like a, a tent, you know, that they had set up, they had set up a, uh, as, as, as God had instructed Moses in the wilderness, but they, it was in a place called Shiloh. I call it Shiloh. And there was a bunch of the Israelites that were just hanging around there. In other words, God apportioned to each tribe an inheritance, land. And some of them, they just were lazy about it. And in Joshua 18th chapter, the third verse, God had gotten on to Joshua about this. Because he was their leader. And so Joshua comes to them in, in Joshua, the 18th chapter, in the third verse, and he says... Uh, it says, so Joshua says to the Israelites, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is what God is saying to us today. How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Like I said, God gave the Israelites a promised land. He has given you a land of promises. And we are instructed to take possession of our inheritance. How many of you would like to stop neglecting your inheritance and move into the land of promises that this loving God who cannot lie 
has given you and instructed you to take. Let us see a show of hands. I want more of what God has for me, don't you? Matter of fact, call me selfish, but I want everything that God has for me. And I'm the first to admit that I've only scratched the surface. Can you imagine if God could be frustrated, his frustration? Pray with me, if you will, and we're going we're gonna to change courses today, and we're going to set our feet on the path to possessing the inheritance that our God has given us. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for providing us with an inheritance. Thank you for helping us to see that our inheritance lies in your promises. And for showing us how to take these spiritual truths and confess them and bring them into manifestation. From this day on, Father, help us to say the same as you regarding who we are and what we have in Christ. We purpose to keep your word in our hearts and our minds and on our lips that we might be totally prosperous and successful in your eyes. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come here together to share in your truth and your love, your peace. Help us to learn more about your promises. Help us to learn how to recognize promises from you and your word and to take hold of them as our own, confessing them over our lives and over the lives of others. Thank you, Lord, that you have a life of exciting, exciting adventures and prosperity and success for us. And we want it all. Not the things of the world, Lord, so much as the things of God. We know that as we go, putting you first in our lives, you're going to bless us materially and financially. Help us just to stay the course with you, putting you first in our hearts and our minds and our, on our lips, pressing into you, knowing you better, living for you and living with you in this life not waiting until we get home to heaven that you might wipe the tears from our eyes because of things that we could have done and didn't. 
thank you, Lord, that we will finish our race successfully. And that when we see you, we will hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Which is, after all, all we really want. Just to know that you're proud of us and you love us. And we know that you already are just because we have put our faith, our trust in Jesus and his finished work on our behalf. Now help us to grow in our salvation. To walk in peace, love, and joy all the days of our life. In Jesus' name. Amen.